Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Boys in the Barrio. It's me and my co-host Jamal. Hey, what's going on, yeah? Um, on this special occasion, we actually have. I wanted to show everybody, enlighten the world how I was one enlightened. And he once mentioned it in his class too. But what I liked about our guest today is that um, I I always like anybody else saw politics as something. Oh, it's whatever you know. It's gonna happen. Whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. But when I went to his class, I was always open to seeing things. But he kind of taught me how to see it on a different way, you know, look, look at things from another angle. Different and let, perspective. Yes. Basically. basically, sometimes you only see the things the American way. Like, hey, you're American, you have to look at it this But, you know, you start thinking, what about the other country, you know? So that's what he taught me. So today in the building, we got my professor. And he taught me two courses. And ladies and gentlemen, if you ever take his course, please show up on time because he will mark you absent. He marked me absent the first day, and I was like, Professor, I, I was here, man. He's like, though. you weren't here. No, I was like, okay, cool. I understand. Did you get up and walk away, though? Nah. I, I, like, All right, I'm gonna I leave stayed. Right. You have to stay, man. So, Mr. Prof- Mr. Ron Burnett, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's um, actually one of the flyest t- professors I've had to in a while. He actually okay. walks with swag into class. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I see you. I see you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I see oh, you, wow. professor. You're all too kind. All too kind. Nah, but I thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time of your day, especially on a Sunday, to come kick it with us and stuff like that. Absolutely. No problem at all. So to start, actually, I wanted uh, you to give a little bit of background of where you came from and where you're from. Because in class, you kind of do mention it at times, but you didn't mention it as much. I do know you're from Texas, but a small town, right? Right, right. I'm from Fort Worth, Texas, actually. Uh, About mm, 30 miles away from Dallas to the west. And uh, so that makes me a long life Dallas Cowboy fans. We're playing right now, killing Green Bay. (laughs) 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 But yeah, uh, I'm born and raised uh, from uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Moved here after I did some time in the military to uh, go to college at Texas Southern University. Uh, majored in journalism. Became a journalist for a little while until I got burned out and wanted to do something else. Went back to school to get a uh, degree in uh, public administration, a master's degree. Uh, did that and got into education, started teaching. And uh, I've been teaching ever since and pursuing uh, academic success ever since. So that's that's me in a nutshell. So, as, so you not switching no more into academics now from now on? Yeah, I'll probably continue to do this and research, uh, continue to enlighten and spread knowledge to students uh, and to anyone else actually who will listen uh, as often as I can and anywhere I can. Awesome. So you said you joined the military. And this is one of the biggest things that I noticed when I had your class that it's different hearing it from a former person that served our country. What made you take a switch into seeing things or enlightening your world that happened? Did something happen in the military that made made that happen, or? Well, for my, you know, everybody's experience in the military, you know, is different. My experience in military, uh, it was uh, eye opening. Uh, going in, you know, we were told that we respect we we could expect to be all considered brothers and you know we're all green and there is no black there is no white there is no brown and so forth but uh the military is very 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 racially polarized uh the same issues you had out in general society you have the same issues in the military i saw so much racism in the military that it just it it didn't jive well with me because when i was younger and in the military i was quite militant (laughs) so so uh i wasn't mature enough to understand how to handle uh, staying in and dealing with it. 
So the first opportunity I got to uh, do what I needed to do, serve my time and leave, that's what I did. Um, here's the irony though, I loved soldiering. I loved being a soldier. It was, I mean, I loved it. I loved everything about it. Uh, I have a long history of men in my family who were soldiers. Yeah. Uh, I just couldn't jive with the thought of someone, uh, you know, basically calling me the N-word and expecting me to put my life on the line in Desert Storm. <laughs> you know, so like, it was what? like that? Yeah, it was like that. So it much. wasn't even a, in a way of like a joking manner, even if it was a little yeah, well, off no, no, color? No, no. It, it, it was off color. Right. It was joking. Uh, let me say that it was, you know, but for me, like I said back then, I was quite militant. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, I was told we were supposed to be brothers. Everybody's supposed to be like, you know, this and that. You're asking me to possibly put my life on the line. Uh, that's not what's up. Okay. You know, and so yeah. I didn't know how to reconcile that. So I started telling myself, you know, hey, man, you're thinking, man, you don't need this. You know, you should go ahead and go back to college. And uh, that's what I did. I decided to go ahead and leave the military. And uh, as soon as I got an opportunity to go to school, and that's what I've uh, used to forward my life ever since. Would you now or tell or allow one of your kids to join the military? Would it something you would recommend? Yeah, it's actually uh, funny that you mentioned that. I talked to my son, my oldest son, about that uh, not too long ago. His first option was college. Uh, he didn't do so well his first semester, and I told him that I thought that he wasn't mature enough yet to handle the workload in college because uh, it takes, takes a lot of dedication. Mm -hmm. I said, I think you're still trying to find yourself. Uh, the military may be an option for you if you go into some uh, uh, service like the Air Force or something like that. Uh, you can do some sort of technical job and see what you're good at, see what you want to do with your life. You know, just uh, give yourself some uh, self-responsibilities, some discipline and all that, and then maybe you know, once you're done, you can decide to have the Air Force to pay for your college because you might be intellectually ready and uh, mature, you know, enough to go ahead and, and do what you need to do to be successful. So um, he thought about it, thought about it, uh, took the ASVAB, thought about it, and decided he was going to go ahead and work this semester and go back the next semester and try again. So, you know, um, I didn't want to push him too hard i want to make sure whatever he does is, is his choice i'm just trying to guide him in the right direction that's all for you though as a as a dad like is, is experience what you've experienced is it hard for you to let your kid like you have to at the same time let him learn his, by himself not or? hard at all because i had to learn myself that again as i before mentioned the military is truly a microcosm of society at large so the same things that i faced in the military i didn't face some as often, but I did had to deal with uh, had to deal with those have to deal with those things, and so uh, I've learned as I've gotten older how to you know I guess uh, find my way uh, whenever those types of issues confront me or whatever. Fortunately for me, it's not very often uh, since I've advanced in my life that that I've even you know had to deal with that you know racism or anything like that. But I do know coming up, I did have to deal with that, and as I matured, I learned how to uh, get past that, if you will. Sounds good. But you actually mentioned what I was going to ask you something about. Do you actually do believe there is still racism in this country? It's funny because uh, you know, I'm getting my Ph.D. in criminal justice right now. I'm almost done, actually. And uh, we have a concentration in our program that's actually called race and crime. Uh, a lot of people you know, in my program are heavy believers that uh, racism is what drives a large part of the criminal justice system, especially in light of today, what you're seeing with uh, the disproportionate uh, numbers of black people that come in contact with law enforcement. Correct. That is uh, a true thing, by the way. Uh, I have seen the 
uh, empirical evidence to back that up. Um, however, uh, in terms of racism, I think there's a larger picture. Yes, racism does still exist. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I believe from what I've seen and what I've researched, racism thrives in the society at the lower levels of society where everybody's at the bottom fighting for scraps, fighting for jobs, fighting for enrollment into this school and that school, fighting for this and fighting for that, promotions and whatnot. Those people that make the decisions at the highest levels of society, society for the whole of society, uh, it's far less uh, focus on race than it is class, socioeconomics. That today is the new race for everybody. If you broke, you're marginalized <laughs> yeah. in society. That's just what it is, regardless of what you look like. You know, uh, socioeconomics and social class today trumps race. So do you think that because up at the top of, um, at least as far as this class war that's going on right now, would you say that maybe it's not as heavily influenced with uh, racism because of the fact that there's maybe not that many minorities that are actually classified to be in that, or not classified to be, but are, are classified in that uh, that top percent as far as financially, um, just because I guess from I guess what I'm saying is that um, you know one one example I look at is uh, I'll look at sports of course, where you see obviously when people say well look racism is gone because these guys are athletes and they're making millions of dollars I'm like okay but these guys aren't owners of the team how many owners are are, are black or brown or or whatever other you know ethnicity outside of uh, of being white so. I look at that and that kind of gives me a, a similar reflection on society. It makes me say, hey, we have a lot of people who have money that are that are minorities in this country, yet that is still a small percentage. So would you say because it's such a smaller percentage that maybe the focus isn't so much on color as, as much as it is on uh, money itself? That's a great question. I think when you talk about entertainment and sports and things of that nature, uh, racism still thrives, even with people that have millions of dollars. Uh, even with people who are, you know, the CEOs of production companies and networks and whatever the case may be, or or professional football teams, owners and whatnot. Yeah, I still believe that uh, racism still exists. But see, again, when I when I say those who make the decision for the whole of society, decisions for the whole of society, how laws are made, uh, what laws will be made to be followed by the masses, uh, those people have mass influence uh, see I'm talking about intellectuals in terms of policy making that basically control the puppet strings of all of society uh, as opposed to rich millionaires who own or billionaires who own football teams basketball teams or whatever all they are is just a bunch of rich people right and they don't have the how can I put it the uh, the ability to control uh, society via legislation and laws and things of that nature all right so their their world is still very very myopic in scope it's business that's it but see when you talk about the people that control everything in this nation that transcends race because they're not looking at that they're looking at all right who's a part of our club the wealthy elite and who isn't all right uh they are about what Karl marx said about capitalist countries he said any capitalist nation makes its laws to protect the wealthy and their interests. All right? Those who are not, the rest of the masses, are targets of that system. 
I mean, and that's what yeah. that's that that's basically what we see in America today. That's what we have been seeing since its inception, really. Absolutely. You know, the people that have the money in this country, yeah. they control everything. Those that don't, we're at their mercy in terms of being employed by them, in terms of being governed by them, in terms of all that. And then when you look at the agents of the state, police officers and, and, and uh, judges and prosecutors and all these people work on behalf of those people who yeah. control what types of legislation is being Correct. you know, created for us to follow. You see, that's where the real power is. Forget the billionaire, millionaire uh, sports owners and all that. that, they have no real power. The power is, is in those who have the influence to make the type of laws that control all of society. And that, that's where real power is. Would you say you saw that? Um, I know, I guess we've, we've seen chunks of that in, in the judicial system. Mm-hmm. But as far as when people that have a lot of money, they go and they're tried for something, they're more likely to get off with the slap on the wrist, if, if that at times, or compared to people who, who are not financially able to, to get that same um, backing. You know, and get that great lawyer. Basically, they're, you know, this is a hope and a prayer. Basically, is all they're really going in with. So, is that where you you see, kind of the same reflection as far as society goes? Um, especially, I guess, as an example, like I said, using the judi- judicial system itself. Great point. I'm glad you brought it up. Listen, a lot of people when they think of the criminal system, I call it the criminal system because there's very little justice in it. The criminal system, when, when the average citizen looks at the criminal system, they see race first. Black man ain't got a chance when he goes before the man in the robes. You know, uh, this and that. let me tell you something. Racism does exist in the criminal system. You have racist judges, you have racist prosecutors, you have racist police officers. I mean, they're just like any other people in any other field or industry in this country. You have good people, you have bad people. Yeah. You've got good judges, you've got good prosecutors. You've, I mean, you've got good. It's, 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 it's just like any other place or any other workplace. However, in terms of what rules institutionally, the entire institution of the criminal system, it's driven by social class and socioeconomics. Let me tell you how I know. Check this out. For people that argue that it's all about race for the entire system, no, it's not. How does O.J. Simpson in 1994 <laughs> exactly get off from being charged for killing brutally a white woman in America and a young white man in America how does he get off he gets off because of his social status he was OJ Simpson yeah. everybody loved him and then he also gets off because his socioeconomic status he was able to afford a team of high-powered attorneys that said he didn't do it you follow what yeah, I'm saying absolutely. it wasn't because he was black see if if he had now he, if he had been a poor black man, oh yeah, well, I he'd think gone to jail. Been, yeah, and if he wasn't OJ, he'd have gone to jail. Yeah, you, you see what I'm saying? So yeah. I don't believe that the system, the entire institution, is driven by race. No, it's driven by social class and socioeconomics first. That's the overarching thing. And that was that's what I was thinking too. Uh, that was actually literally the example because I remember uh, watching that trial, you know, in class. And, um, you know, I guess for myself, I was in fourth grade and we watched it. And I think a few of us, a few of us, I know, you always ask me that question. (laughs) I'm young, man, at heart. All right. But but I remember watching that trial and I remember when they said not guilty. And I remember about three or four of us were the only ones that were celebrating. You know, and we celebrated not necessarily because this man got away with murder. I mean, it wasn't about that. It was the question of, hey, how is this going to be to see a black male with the money, with that you know, with that status, 
you know, in society, is he going to be able to get treated the same way as, as anybody, you know, as another white person with the same exact status? So we celebrated that. But, you know, of course it was bittersweet because looking back on it now, you're like, man, that's, that's just a bad look. Well, let me say this. Some people will all come back and they will rebut my statement by saying, well, yeah, well, he's in jail now. Well, yeah, he's not OJ anymore. No. True. He doesn't have the same social status yeah. any longer. And he certainly doesn't have the same socioeconomic status anymore. Because right. that basically broke him when he had to defend himself. So he's not the same OJ anymore. That's I mean, Had he been the same OJ, we probably would have seen the same thing. Like I said, look at any situation. You put a poor white person in front of the judge. He's got a 50-50 shot. If he has a public defender, he still has a 50-50 shot, despite the fact that he's white. If he's not wealthy and part of the elite, he may, walk, he may beat the charge. He may not. And what people fail to understand is, you know, we, we talk about public defenders. You've got to understand the dynamics of the court system. Let's look at the actors. Let's look at the three main actors of the court. You've got the judge, you've got the prosecutor, you've got the uh, defense attorney, right? And if he's not someone that you paid for and you're, you're poor and you have to depend on a public defender, guess what all three of them have in common? They all work for the same institution, the state. They're all drawing the same paycheck from the same institution. So you tell me the person that's trying to defend himself against the state that has the public defender that actually also works with the state yeah. for the state, I should say. How do you know that you're getting a fair shake? I mean, how can you say that that person has your best interest at heart if he's going to get paid anyway? Where's the motivation coming from then? And then I read also, I remember a while back, I read that, that article about the public defender. They, they have a stack so big of files of who they're trying to defend that they can't even, it's hard to even catch up. Do you really think they're going to go up there and actually give them the 100? I don't think so. Which is why plea bargaining has become so big and why that's the main tool that they try to use. I mean, what normally happens is, you know, you get charged with something. You can't afford an attorney. The state gives you one. Before the uh, defense attorney, state-appointed defense attorney meets with the client, he's already talked to the uh, prosecutor. They've already looked at the case together and they've already determined what they're going to try to get you to decide to do before he even comes in and says hello to you. And usually it's a plea deal. First thing they come in with is, well, you've been charged with this. Uh, the state is looking at giving you this. But if you plea out, we could get you this. Not, hey, by the way. Are you guilty? Did you do it? I mean, not, not yeah. that. You but, see? <laughs> not tell me what happened. Right. Let's, let's go through what happened or whatever. Exactly. Basically, they already have the plan you know, because in place. Because it's, it's about unclogging the system. It's like an assembly line. We just need to get the next case through. Let's clear this docket so we can get the next case through. Get the next case. You're just a number. That's it. That's all you are. You're not a human being when you go before the court. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Perfect example is that when I did, a, I had to do jury duty one time. I went and, you know, this guy, he had done, I don't, it was murder, what he had done, you know. Um, but the thing is, it seemed like it was going to go long. But, and then they're like, okay, this is, they make it, they made it sound like it was going to go long. Because they're like, okay, so we're going to come after break and please be prepared because it might be a long time. Well, we come back from lunch and apparently he's, they're like, Oh, he plead whatever he took a plea or whatever, and it was like it was done. Not that I'm saying. I mean, if he did do it, he did it, you know. But it's just an example of how quick it is to make a decision or be like, we don't want to listen. Just, just please, so we could go on to the next one, you know. Or yeah, and great point you make, Bentley. Because what I what I see with plea bargains, you know, I guess they could be beneficial to those who are guilty and looking at a bunch of time. But a lot of times, man, people 
they take plea bargains because they don't believe they can beat it, yes. even if they're in, uh, uh, innocent. Yeah. So here's the problem. The court, the way I see it, the state is bullying these people into, how can I say, abdicating their rights to due process. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, you're kind of bullying them to take this, hey, take this plea, man, so we can go and get you out of here because you don't want to face that. Yeah, but I didn't do it. Yeah, but you're looking at this and that. That's not due process, man. Not in this purest form. You know, hey, if your client says he didn't do it, then the state's business should be about defending that client, you know, and it, the best possible to prove that yes. client's innocence. But that's not what we have. Well, take this plea so we can clear this docket and get to the next number. I mean, person. <laughs> okay yeah that's what we're looking at which is sad if you think about it and it's just it starts i think one time you mentioned it in class that it starts from the bottom and it works itself all the way up how bad and corrupt it is which um leads me to the next question i was going to ask you how do you feel about these elections oh you mean the circus playing <laughs> right now with all the animals on stage you know performing um well let's get if you really want to know my true thought on this, we're gonna have to go back a little bit. I keep hearing people say when, when, what if Trump wins? What if Hillary wins? And they're only talking about two people as if we don't have any alternative choices. We do, first of all, let me make that clear. Yes, we, do. we have Jill Stein that's running under the Green Party mm -hmm. who makes a lot of sense and has a wonderful platform. And then we have Gary Johnson who is running under the libertarian banner, banner. And I will say this, his platform, I'm not as fond of, but I will say it's far better than what Trump and Clinton have been running under. Mm -hmm. Far better, far better. All right, so we do have alternatives. So let's make that clear. Uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, people keep saying win. People don't win presidential elections. Let's get that clear. They're already elected. People who become president are, how can I put this, selected. They're selected. They're selected by the powerful elite. Those people who control how our laws are shaped and fashioned in this country. Those people who control our economic system in this country. Uh, and, and everything that is in terms of uh, power in this country. They decide who's going to be the figurehead, the puppet. Okay? Uh, people can vote, and that's great. I don't tell people not to vote. Uh, I think it's cool that people vote. However, if voting really mattered at the highest levels of government, they wouldn't let us do it. They wouldn't. Uh, why would you say that out of curiosity? Well, because if the people were allowed to determine who they wanted as a leader, then things would be different in this country. Very different. But people truly aren't allowed to choose who they, are, who they want as their leader. Case in point, let's go back to the 2000 election, Bush and Gore. Uh, popular. Okay. <laughs> Al Gore won the popular vote. All right. They even called the race for him. Right. Uh, but the Electoral College said that he did not. They gave the race to Bush. Okay. On what grounds? Uh, I don't know. Because everyone knows that the Electoral College's vote should be based on the popular vote. So if Al Gore won the popular vote, he should have been president. Bottom line. Then you couple that with the shenanigans that happened in Florida. Yeah, Dead should, people yeah. showing up to the polls to vote. Really? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you've got the hanging chat incident. Is it, yeah. is it a punch through or is it not? Then you had the shenanigans up in Ohio with the voting machines. Do you know 
there was a person that came on CNN one night with a laptop and showed everyone that was watching how easy it is to manipulate the voting tally on Daibo voting machines. He showed us, everyone, right there. Nothing was ever changed. Nothing was ever changed to fix the problem, none of that. You see what I'm saying? Yes, so I agree, yeah. We, we have this system that is rigged, all right? And it's really put in place to give the people the notion that somehow uh, they have a part to play in deciding who is their leader and who isn't. Uh, that's not the case. They allow people to hold on to that illusion so that I guess they, they won't act a fool and go out in the streets and start rioting, protesting and whatnot and not showing up to work Monday morning. Because understand, these people want to continue things as normal, right? Keeping up appearances, the illusion of choice, the yes. illusion of things are normal, right? Uh, but in fact and in reality, man, the American people don't determine who their leaders are. In fact, it was President Carter, Jimmy Carter, who recently came out last year and said in an interview in the Huffington Post and to Oprah Winfrey that uh, the United States is no longer considered a democracy. It is truly an oligarchy. It's a country run and controlled by a small group of very powerful individuals. Now, I look at that and I say, wow, well, wait a minute, let's back up a minute. If indeed the United States is not a democracy, and it was never, first of all, meant to be set up as a democracy, it was never a democracy. If you look at the Constitution, the, the word democracy never appears, not even once, all right? It was formed to be a republic, all right? Where we had representatives that would go and do the business of the people that we elected, that we chose, right? The masses, yes. not a small group of individuals but everyone. Well, uh, Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution says that every state in the United States will be guaranteed a republic form of government, meaning everyone gets equal representation, not just a small group of powerful people. But see, that's what we have today. In name, yes, we have senators, we have congressmen that claim to represent everyone, but they don't. They represent corporations, banksters, wealthy individuals you know these are the people that they really truly represent um the reason why i'm saying this and i know that it to be true and, and factual is because i've looked at the empirical evidence last year princeton university and northwestern university did a joint study where they looked at uh policies that were and, and legislation that was passed uh as far back as 1983 all the way up to 2011. they examined those pieces of legislation and they saw that, by and large, the majority of those uh, laws were shaped and fashioned to benefit the wealthy in this country, not the masses. So you tell me, who controls everything in this country in terms of laws, how we're all governed? You, you see, and that's a problem because if, it's, if, if only the wealthy have uh, represented interests in Congress, then why are we all paying taxes? How are you going to ask me for my tax dollars, but you're not giving me proper and adequate and equal representation like you're giving them? Correct. You see, so we, ha we, have, we have a breach of the Constitution, you see, uh, because it is, in fact, an oligarchy, maybe even a plutocracy ruled by the rich. But it's definitely not a democracy. Hell, it's not even really a true republic any longer. You know, it's so funny because... Um 
I guess, well, yeah, I mean, you really laid it down on that one because I was even thinking just from a smaller scale of uh, when people actually go and campaign and they're getting donations from people and they're saying, oh, they can't use their money, but what they're doing, they're getting people that are backing them, giving them millions and millions of dollars to run their campaign. And I always saw that as strange because I always figured, hey, well, if I came and Bentley was running for president and I'm backing him up on my millions, mm -hmm. when he gets into office, I'm expecting him to pay it forward to right. me. You know, when he gets in there, like, Do everything hey, you remember should, how you, you know, where you were at before, before this election, I helped you. My money was a big part of it. So now I'm, I want you to look out for me, whatever you got bills that are coming around, maybe in my industry. He owes you favors. I, exactly. That's right. And that's exactly what the former president of the United States, Jimmy Carter, said. He said, now what you're seeing is all out bribery. And basically, you know, when you talk about campaign donations and, and so forth, whoever gives this, you know, lots of money to the candidate that is appointed. Uh, they're expecting their favor favors to be paid back. You know, they're expecting to ha be able to be sit at the front of the line whenever mm -hmm. it's time for legislations to be made, uh, to be made, and you know, policy shaping and all of that. They want to be heavily involved in that, and uh, that's what you see now. I remember it was Senator Dick Durbin from Illinois who was in a radio inter interview, and he just came out and flat out admitted it. He said the banks, quite frankly, own Washington. Really. The banks on Washington, not the people, not the masses, like Karl Marx said. He said that in any capitalistic, uh, capitalist country, laws are basically fashioned to protect the rich and their interests. That's it. And that's what we're seeing happening now, today, still. Even more so. Sad. <laughs> they said it. Making me look at my wallet a little bit like, oh, man. So with all this said, do you think our vote counts? No, I don't. Uh, I think it was, uh, it's funny because, again, I, I refer back to uh, President Carter. He, he laid it out plain, and he was quite accurate. He said, uh, you know, if you look at the president, congressman, senator, and even governors, doesn't matter at the highest levels of government. Your vote only really, truly, truly counts in local elections. But the highest levels of government where legislation and power is willed, is willed all for the masses, altogether, no. People don't have any influence over that. Those who basically, the oligarchy, you know, the people who have consolidated power for themselves in this country, they're the ones that control uh, these types of elections and the outcome, right? So you feel the power stops at uh, us voting for our governors? That's the line, or it's even lower? Local elections. Okay, so not a mayor, basically. Mayor, city council, okay. sheriff, uh, county commissioners. Oh, yeah, man. and you know, and, and, and I don't want you guys to look dejected because th that those are very important uh, governmental offices because they're the ones that interface with the people on a daily basis. Right, so right. So that's very, very key, very, very important. Uh, but, you know, and, and the reason why I say that is because think about the police force. Let's talk about HPD, for instance. Okay or Harris County Sheriff's Department, right? If anything happens uh, regarding HPD, you feel like you were done wrong or something after a stop or whatever the case may be, what is your recourse? I mean, you could file a complaint right. with, with uh, the police department, but what if you, what if that's not enough? Where, where else would you go? You'd go to the mayor's office. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And you let the mayor know, hey, this is what happened to me, it's, a, it's, it's wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then the mayor can get with his police chief and find out what happened. I mean, so you have some sort of recourse, all right? But what I'm seeing happen now, I'm hearing uh, national leaders start to call for 
nationalization of police forces, local police forces. They want the federal government to come in and nationalize uh, local policing agencies, which I think is a terrible idea. And let me tell you why. First of all, let me say this. After 9-11, when Homeland Security was created, uh, Homeland Security basically controls every single law enforcement agency in this country, all the way from federal law enforcement agencies, all the way down to Houston Independent School District Police Department. And it's funny because I have a fraternity brother one night, I was asking him if he was gonna come to a function. And he said, nah, man, I've got Homeland Security training. I said, but dude, you work for Cypher uh, <laughs> in Independent School District Police Department. What are you doing getting Homeland? And he said it was tactical training. Tactical training. Elementary kids running around. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. That's my point. It's something else yeah. bigger looming it's here. It's a bigger agenda. It's, it's, it's this whole militarization of our local police forces, right? And what you got is you've got the federal government with its tentacles all over our local police agencies, which I think is a terrible idea because when they get full control of local police agencies, we don't have any recourse anymore at the local level. Who are we going to complain to when we're Nobody you can't. Or who are we going to when we when we're done wrong? You, you going to go to the government? Really? Good luck with that. You see, so yeah. that that's what I'm saying. This is what you're starting to see, yeah. and uh, a push for this as well. Yeah, that's pretty heavy, man. Especially with. Um you know, I, uh, there is a lot of truth, I guess, you see. And then at the same time, what's so scary is that I feel that a lot of people aren't necessarily looking at it from that perspective. You know, I, I think like you're saying right now with this debate going on, everybody's just focused on Hillary or Trump, Trump or Hillary. Watching the circus. And well, none of well, I, I'm not excited, obviously, about either one. Personally, it's actually kind of depressing. Um, it does scare me a little bit because even speaking honestly for myself, I'm not necessarily focusing on some of the more local things that are going on. And uh, my wife's good at that. She's good at letting me know, like, hey, this is happening, or hey, this is happening. And uh, I only imagine, like, okay, well, I have someone telling me. Who knows how many people there are out there, you know, just within our city that's not that, not, that aren't even concentrating on what's going on locally. Uh, does that put any kind of fear in, into you as far as people's perspective of not looking at what's going on around them rather than just being distracted but with the, uh, the circus of this election? I can't say fear. What I will say is grave disappointment, which really I guess I shouldn't feel that. Um, a lot of the things that we see happening today in our society and around the world, um, a lot of it has to do with uh, what's written biblically. A lot of the things that we're seeing right now has already been foretold that it was going to happen. Yeah. Many things, many, many things. Um, and so if you look at our, our society, for instance, the way that it rapidly decayed, from within. I mean, you go back to the 60s and the 50s, things were totally different in terms of morality, ethics. Yes. Fast forward to today. Hate. We, we, yeah, hate and morality. I mean, we had hate in the 50s and 60s too. Oh, yeah. you know, racism, racism and whatnot. But I'm, I'm saying, you, you turn on television in the 50s and the 60s, you know, you saw... Uh, mom and dad sleeping in separate beds. You know, you know I love Lucy. You know, <laughs> they didn't sleep in the same bed. Now, today, man, I can't even watch television with my 13-year-old daughter without blushing. Everything is about sex. Everything is about decadence, moral decadence on television, you see. And that's what we've turned into. You know, that's a reflection of society. Or is that a reflection of, uh, uh, is that a society reflection of Hollywood? I don't know, but what it is, I see this mirror and people are acting this out every day. You know, um, 
it's funny because I, I saw something on Facebook the other day, a meme. You talked about Michelle Obama, uh, I guess, calling out Donald Trump uh, for his alleged groping of women and using them as sex objects or whatever and his quote-unquote locker room talk. She uh, basically denounced him for that. But then she turned around uh, maybe a year or two before calling Beyonce a role model. She's half naked every time she's on stage, man. <laughs> poking her backside out. Yeah, but she's a role model for role model for girls. Really, the first lady? That's what you think? You, you see, so what yeah. I'm saying is, man, when you've got you know uh, people like that that are supposed to be the head of our country, calling these type of people role models, something's wrong with the way we, we see things. Our 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 scope is skewed somehow. You see, in the wrong direction. Yeah, so we we've we've gone nowhere fast, man, in a hurry. You know, if you talk about how far we've regressed in terms of morality and ethics in this country, we just don't have any any longer. Going back to, uh, I remember when I took your class, it's very, for example, which I'm gonna ask you this question, and I don't, I just want to know is it if it's hard. I don't know if you're a religious person or not. I am. Okay, and I am too. Um, but is it hard sometimes when you're teaching to not let your religious side get involved? You know, the whole thing was separation of church and state, right? Uh, you're not supposed to talk. Yeah, and I work right. for a state agency. Yeah. I'm not supposed to bring... Uh, Which you don't. I'm not saying you, right. you do. Right, I'm, right, right. I'm not supposed to bring religion or any of that into my classroom. But I will say this. Sometimes there's just no way for me to avoid it. You know, if I feel like I'm convicted to say something because it may give better insight to what I'm trying to convey to my students, I'm going to do that, right? Uh... And so it's not very often, but when I feel like I have to, I will. Uh, it's very hard for me to restrain because like I said earlier, you know, a lot of what I am observing now, I've read and studied years ago that was going to take place, you know, yeah. and I'm seeing it unfold in terms of economics, in terms of uh, politically speaking, uh, Socially speaking, the way that we've socialized ourselves to become today, mm -hmm. I, it's all been spoke about, spoken about. You know, we talk about the moral decadence, you know, that we've uh, allowed our society to turn into, you know, it's just to turn towards, basically. It's just, yeah. So it's hard for me not to uh, go to, to, you know, my spiritual belief. But, uh, you know, I try to do the best job I can uh, by delivering my, my, my message, the information that I, I'm giving my students without having to go there but when i have to i will but sometimes it's i'm not saying because i remember one time when it, it was like like i said don't show up late to his class <laughs> i was i was actually on time but it was one of well, the times bentley you know you're you, you're liable to miss something man because you know once i start yeah oh yeah <laughs> i know it's like this podcast if you don't listen to it from the beginning you're locked right. <laughs> um so yeah i remember one time you were giving you, you know a, a class and it, it in the back of my mind I approach every like that, you know, but in the back of my mind, something in my head was saying, this is religious right here. Like this is, and I remember saying it, but you just looked at me and you were like, yeah, like, you know, like, yeah, but you, you get what I mean? But I understood it because of my religious side, you know, but I just always wondered if it's hard, you know, to, especially the way you teach, is it hard sometimes to keep you? It is because I, I see it all unfolding. So it's hard for me not to mention why I see it unfolding. Correct. Uh, it, it, outside of the fact that I've done research, I read voraciously uh, in terms of public affairs. 
uh, international affairs, domestic affairs. I, I mean, I am a voracious reader in terms of that. In fact, that is my reading for entertainment, finding out what is happening. And, you know, like I told you guys, I always try to find uh, alternative media sources because corporate media in this country is tightly controlled. Now, this is me telling you this as a former journalist. It's tightly controlled. A lot of people often say, you know, man, those people in those other countries like China, North Korea, Cuba, man, man their government controls everything. They don't get to see the truth. They don't get to... No, 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 no. The funny thing about it is, at least they know they're being controlled. Yeah. The American people here don't even realize <laughs> that they're being controlled by media that has been sanitized, uh, has been, how can I put it, uh, screened. All the truth has been screened out. It's basically just entertainment. I mean, if you look at the morning shows in the morning, ABC, Good Morning America, NBC Today Show, CBS The Morning Show, all you see is a bunch of, <laughs> everybody's laughing and giggling. And I'm like, where's the news, man? Yeah. Where's, what's going on over overseas right now? Why are we still in, in Afghanistan? Bin Laden's been gone. Now, that's another story. <laughs> yeah. But Bin Laden's been gone. So why are we still there? He was supposed to be the reason why we went. Why are we still there? You see, nobody talks about that. All they talk about is Trump and Clinton, what she said, what he said, clowns running around, scaring people. Now, this is what we see lead the news every day. We're not getting any real substance, and that is the way American corporate media has set up to be, to keep us distracted so we can stay divided uh, and, and fight amongst ourselves and not keep our eye on those who really control everything that are benefiting from our distraction and our division. So what are some good uh, media sources you go to that you feel are a little more away from that corporate agenda? Well, I tell you what, I really love Amy Goodman and uh, Democracy Now! Absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. She gives it to you. Straight dope. Uncut. The truth. Uh, now, RT News can be biased sometimes because it's Russian television. However, though, man, they give you so many different perspectives on so many international stories that are happening. You know, and I love it. They've got this one lady who's a correspondent, uh, White House correspondent for RT News. And I mean, she asks tough questions of the press secretary and uh, he hates to see her coming because uh, she puts him on the, on, on, on the, on the, you know, on the hot seat, if you will. Because like I said, man, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, CNN, those guys that are there representing those networks, they're not asking the tough questions. They're giving her, they're giving the guy uh, softball questions. But this lady, she's throwing, she's throwing high heat. She wants real answers. Why are we really in Syria? What's going on? Did we really, really shell that hospital? Or, or was it the rebels? And if it was the rebels, aren't we funding the rebels? You know, those kinds of things. And, you know, forcing honest answers, you know, which uh, we really don't get that often from uh, the press secretary. But anyhow, she at least tries to hold Washington accountable. And I like that. So that's another good source as well. And what would you say, too, uh, about, um, I guess one I'm always curious about is, like, PBS. Because a couple times I've watched it, um, there is, they have very, like, unbiased uh, views on some of the things I, I've seen. I, I mean, I haven't watched it too deep because, you know, they got a lot of other little things, of course, on there. I mean, all kinds of stuff on there. But I was always curious about them because they're apparently supposed to be publicly funded. Right. So I was wondering, how would you feel about something like that? Or is that still kind of a weird sham to you? Well, let me say this about PBS. And I, and I know this because I've been in that industry. PBS is publicly publicly funded, true. Not just with you donating, you donating, and me donating, but they're also publicly funded by the taxpayers too. The government gives PBS funding. Yeah. 
So PBS, just like any other network, has to be careful about what it says, all right? Um, the control of information in this country is very, very real. What people get to hear and see and know on television is tightly controlled. Case in point, let me give you a couple of, couple of examples. Recently, President Obama uh, signed over control of our internet to a foreign entity, okay? Uh, and I can't remember the name of it right offhand. It's, it escapes me, but I just read about it not too long ago. And what it was, basically, the federal government had been trying to censor the internet, basically determine what people get to see and know mm -hmm. and what people don't. The people fought back citing the First Amendment, right? And so the government backed off, right? But what they've done this time is given control uh, to a foreign corporation. This way they can say, okay, well, if something's sensitized, I'm sorry, censored in the future, it's not the government doing it. It's a foreign organization. So now you can't cry foul regarding the government violating your First Amendment. This is, what, this is, what, this is all done to potentially control information, what the people know and don't know. Because he who has all the information can control everyone. You see, people can't make, uh, uh, how can I put it, sound decisions without having all the information. All they can do is make decisions based on what is allowed to be known, you see. And that's the way they want it. Here's the other thing about the control of information in this country. I want to say last summer, the Pentagon came out with a new, uh, I guess, guides of war or whatever regarding journalists. Okay, the Pentagon came out and said that certain journalists uh, that put out stories, basically, in short, uh, that the Defense Department did not favor, regardless if they were telling the truth or not, could be labeled belligerent journalists. They could be seen as enemy combatants. They could be jailed and even killed. Hmm. Just like, um, man, what was the name of that one that died? Michael Hastings. Yes. Wow. See, here's the thing. Okay, this is we're talking about the control of information here. They don't want certain stories to get out. You see, uh, you know whether the story is true or not. They don't. That's a problem because it violates the first it violates the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, freedom of speech and freedom of press. And by the way, the press is the only industry in the entire Constitution that's protected by the Constitution because the founders knew how important information was mm -hmm. to the masses, you see. And so what they're trying to do now is limit what people get to know in terms of information. And so now you've got plenty of journalists, man, that they, they're afraid to touch certain stories. They don't want to uh, cover certain stories. They stay away from them under threat of, you know, things like that. And that to me, I'm like, where do we live? This is not... A free country any longer this isn't a, a democracy this isn't even a republic anymore this is an authoritarian style of government that we're moving towards in this country and because everybody's so asleep you know and, and you know no one pays attention to anything you know slowly but surely our our civil liberties are being chewed away by the organization the entity that is charged with protecting those very liberties <laughs> you see so let me ask you a question too because this also I guess based on, on uh, what you're talking about, it's reminding me a lot of the course to talk about like the Illuminati. Is that something that you're that you think is, is kind of like a silly group or is, I mean, what is your view on that? Because I always said, like, at least for me, I said, well, 
it's hard to just completely discount something like that because what you know a group of people who want power and money i mean that's not really that's not hard to not imagine you know that's pretty easy to to imagine basically right. so i was like well maybe they don't call themselves like hey we're the illuminati we wear name tags and stuff like that but maybe they're in the form of something else so what is your viewpoint on that well let me say this uh there are plenty excuse me of secret societies not just in this country globally and they've been around for quite some time. Uh, some people may refer to them as the, the Illuminati. Some people may refer to them as the Club of Rome. Some people may refer to them as Bohemian Grove, uh, the Bilderberg Group. Uh, I could go on. There are plenty of them. Uh, so they are real, they do exist. And uh, people at the height of power, power that most people can't even imagine uh, occupy those organizations. I'm talking about world leaders. I'm talking about heads of corporations. I'm talking about uh, royalty, for instance, uh, royal families. Uh, yeah, they, they do exist. Um, President Kennedy talked about this in one of his last speeches, and I think you might have heard it. I might have yes. played for your class. He talked about uh, the fact that secret societies the very nature of secret societies is repugnant because nothing should be secret in this country and he talked about the fact that uh under his watch and to the extent of his power and in the power of his administration he would do everything in his power to basically drive them out of the united states government out of industry uh out of academics out of uh, politics that's what he wanted to see happen he was dead i want to say maybe six weeks later mm. uh because basically he let them know uh yeah I'm, I'm 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 not going to allow any meddling from secret societies or anything that's nefarious uh while i have my administration in off in office in washington that's the that, that, magic bullet basically well and, and see that wasn't that wasn't the main reason he was murdered he put them on notice saying you know hey i'm not afraid of you i'm here for the american people the main reason he was murdered was because uh, he issued Executive Order 11110, right? Uh, and what it was, that was an executive order to allow the American people to borrow money, not from the Federal Reserve, but against silver bullion that the United States had in its possession, right? It was gonna decrease the interest rate drastically, and it was gonna give power regarding our money back to the American people. See, right now, the average person doesn't know that the American people don't control their own money. Did you know that? We don't have control of our own money. The Federal Reserve Organization controls the American dollar. And uh, the Federal Reserve is controlled by a group of central bankers, okay? It is our central bank in this country, but there are a group of central bankers that control every central bank in, in the world, right? Uh, they own and control our money in our money system, monetary system. That was done with Woodrow Wilson signing into existence the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. Okay. Um, so anyhow, he wrote an executive order, signed an executive order to bypass the Federal Reserve Bank and start allowing Americans to borrow money against uh, American silver bullion. Uh, that's really why he was murdered. Mm. Because you gotta imagine, 
if the central bankers allow something like that to happen, then what's to stop every other every other leader in every other country from doing the same thing? They lose money, the central bankers. Yes. And so he had to go. That's why he was murdered. Messing with the money of the bankers. Yeah. That's pretty wild, man. Because I know um, that was something that's still highly controversial about his death. Um, one thing, when I remember hearing the theory, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm tripping on this, but I remember they were saying the first, one of the theories they, they put out early. People were saying was that uh, he was killed by what they called the magic bullet. So supposedly there was like one bullet that kind of went around <laughs> this way, hit him the shoulder, came around, it really hit him over here. And, you know, and you people. look at it, and and at the time I'm, I'm telling, I'm thinking to myself when I heard this, I was like, did people actually fall for this? Or, yeah. I mean, how crazy is that yeah, to man, think I that mean, a bullet could defy, see, you know, the laws of physics like that. that? That lets you know the state of the American psyche, man. The the the, the state of. I guess uh, the the socialization we've been socialized to believe whatever we're we're told by government officials, and not to question. We've been socialized to believe not to question authority in this country. Uh, you're seen as odd. You're seen as a rebel. You're seen as someone not to be associated with because you choose to think on your own independently, and and instead of relying on what someone else in authority has told you to believe. You see, that's where we are in this country. We have been for quite some time, which is why we're in the situation that we're in right now. You see, no one thinks independently for him or herself regarding, uh, you know, the most important things of life. People depend and wait to be told what to think and what to believe by those who are in, in, in authority. And that, to me, is just the most un-American thing that I see happening. You know. <laughs> We're supposed to be all about independence, you know, and, and freedom and liberty to do what we want and to think and say what we want. But this is not what we're doing anymore. You know, we're relying on everybody else or in, in authority to tell us what to think, what to say, what to do, how to feel, you know, yeah, all yeah. of that. You know, so yeah. And the one, the one last thing I wanted to add about the Kennedy situation, uh, we're talking about the money not being controlled by the American people. Once you make your deposit into your checking account or savings account, that money no longer no longer really even belongs to you. It's owned by the bank. Did you know that? The minute you deposit your money into the bank, it, it is legally owned by the bank at that point. So you really never own, it, the American people really don't own their money. We're just allowed to use it. You know, we're allowed to use it in order to pay for what we want. That's really it. Yeah. So let's just say, for instance, if something happened where the market crashed again, and this time the banks decided to do a bail-in instead of a bailout. You know, bailout is when taxpayers come to the rescue mm -hmm. and they bail out banks, they pay the bill or whatever, like we did in 08. Mm -hmm. A bail-in is when depositors <laughs> pay the banks mm -hmm. so the banks can pay their their creditors. Yeah, that I believe is something that you could see happen possibly in the future as well, because there's been talk about that. That goes to what I was saying about how you don't really own your money. You see, they, they can take your, your, your deposit and use it for their creditors. You know? <laughs> and then again, and he's stuck. And then again, if you start to think like beyond that, the money we have, our money is really not backed by nothing at this point. And actually a dollar, like as we speak, sometimes it's like super low. It's like not, what do we have? Lost so much of its value, basically. Yeah. Yes. It's actually backed by two things, actually. It's backed by the point of the U.S. sword. You're gonna take this dollar and accept it, <laughs> or we'll come for you. And it's backed by the central bankers, you know, the people that control the world's central banking system. Uh, 
And the only reason why they're still floating our debt and our money still has value is because they, they, uh, they have need and use for our military prowess, our armed forces. I mean, basically, wars are fault because uh, those who are in power globally decide what wars will be fought. Banks, bankers, central bankers, and, 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 and you know, wherever there is to be uh, exploited for energy. And, you know, energy makes money and you know, all of that. That's, that's what our military is used for. Our military isn't used for uh, freedom and justice and liberty. No, our military today is used as muscle. You know who we are? We're Fat Tony. We're the enforcer <laughs> now. And, and, and the central bankers are the mob, the mafia, if you want to look at it in those terms. Mm -hmm. The United States military is the enforcer. And if we didn't have the type of military prowess and strength that we have, then they wouldn't have any use for us. And you wouldn't see our economy continue to be floating because we're massively in debt. You see, artificial debt, but it's still debt. Yeah. Crazy, right? <laughs> well, you know, I guess you always hear about us being in debt, but then I guess people don't have too much of a focus on it because you know you look around yourself and say well it's not affecting me but i guess always goes back to as well as uh what's going on with you know the police and the and the high volume of of minorities being beat down because basically you're saying hey well it's happening i see it out there and I, I remember talking with someone about it and we got into a debate about it because he, he was pretty much like well what about every time something happens they say well what about chicago right and i'm saying you know what you know what's so funny me and you're going to debate this all day and night and even me as as a black male at the end of the day i'm going to say you know what this is not literally happening to me so i'm going to i'm going to slowly back away from it myself even though i am troubled by it right there's going to be moments i was like you know what's going to happen uh, I, was, I told him I was like we're still going to get together we're still going to have fun we're yeah. still going to have our little trip or whatever and i'm not going to be thinking about it because quite frankly it never it hasn't personally affected me at this particular moment although I have been through some of those things as well. Right. So do you see that as, I mean, the feel of the American people or, you know, well, American people yeah. well, well, being distracted very easily? Yeah, absolutely. And then look, I tell people all the time that the biggest distraction in this country is race. It always has been for quite some time, man. And uh, even your president adheres to this. Here's the thing. If everybody really truly, well, let me say this. If Barack Obama was really about what all those people who have supported him in the, in the past and still support him today was really about what they thought or think he is or was about, you wouldn't see Chicago like it is, especially where he claims it's his hometown. You see, you wouldn't see all the murders and the killings and all that stuff. How, how can you come as a black man from a city like Chicago, go into the White House and then ignore it if you were really about solving issues that affect True. real people? Do you think he ha even has that type of power and influence, or do Absolutely. you feel that, or do you Absolutely. feel that his position is basically a puppet position? He, that's and that's that's what he chose. See, you gotta understand something. When you walk into the White House, into the Oval Office, there's a playbook on the desk, right? There's a playbook. You do not deviate from that playbook. You deviate from your marching orders that have been given by those who have placed you there. You find yourself neutralized, one way or the other. Maybe one giant scandal that brings you down politically that may or may not even be true but it brings you down and you have to disgracefully resign from office or or you find yourself taking a dirt nap one or the other so you have to basically do what's been told now you can either choose to be your own man 
and do what you believe is the right thing to do as president and risk that or you can fall in line and ignore everything that's ailing average Americans every day and just do what benefits those who control the power of this country. That's what you're seeing happen. That's, that's what you're seeing. And he's no different from any other president that has made it past one term. No different. Why do you think he had another term? Because he's doing whatever those who put him there ask him to do. He's not, I mean, think about it. If, if, if he was really doing the, the will of the people, See what I'm saying? He would not have been president again. Same thing for congressmen. Same thing for senators. If they were really there to represent the average American people in this country and not the wealthy elite, not, not those who, who wield all the power in this country, they wouldn't, they wouldn't retain their seats. Remember, society is structured and laws are manufactured to protect the interests of the wealthy. That's it. The masses, well, we're subject to that. You know, we're targeted by that, that very system. It's crazy, man. It, it really is. I was actually going to ask you a question, a little bit backtracking. I was One of the questions I really wanted to ask you was, um, how do you feel about the Black uh, Lives Matter movement? <laughs> well, let me say this about Black Lives Matter. Uh, I don't support the movement uh, for, for multiple reasons. Um, one, uh, there are entities behind that movement that are using it as a tool of division, okay? Let me say that. Tool of division to create chaos in this country. Now, I'm not saying that everyone that is a part of Black Lives Matter is a part of this agenda. No, what I'm saying is those who have given it power financially and whatnot, they're the ones that are using it as a tool of division, okay? Uh, also, I saw something that really disappointed me. I was watching Jill Stein in uh, Philadelphia during the Democratic National Convention, and the Black Lives Matter people had a march through the streets of Philly. And I saw one lady who was with Black Lives Matter. There were a group of white people that came up and said that they wanted to join in and march with them and protest with them. Mm -hmm. She told them, that's fine, but y'all got to get to the back. To me, that le it, it, it made that whole thing illegitimate for me. Because I'm like, you're shunning this person towards the back of the line because of what? Because they don't look like you, but they're here to help you. Mm -hmm. You see mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So it's, it's that things like that turn me off from the whole movement altogether, you know, um, and so I just, I'm just not a supporter of that. What I am a supporter of, however, is this. All lives matter. And I don't mean that in terms of all lives matter and black lives come after that. No, black lives are a part of all lives. All right. What matters the most, though, is that poor black folk, middle class black folk, poor white folk, middle class white folk, Hispanics, poor middle class need to drop this whole uh, us against them thing. There is no us against them in terms of each other. There's us against them who control and will yeah. all the power and the wealth yeah. in this country. See, the minute that people understand that we're all being targeted unless we're part of that elite group, yes, then we can drop all the division and come together and focus on who's really causing all the problems for us. The people who control the laws that are being made, control our economy, 
control everything about our society. The people who are driving us to face off with the Soviet, I'm sorry, Russia, China, and other countries, you know, uh, you know, the people who control where our military go and who they fight for whatever reason, what, how many babies that they blow up yeah. via drone strikes in this country. And that, the minute we start turning our focus to them collectively is the minute that we can start to see some real forward movement and change and advancement in this country. But as long as we continue to do what they want us to do and focus on, you know, uh, this, this uh, uh, distraction of race and that distraction of race and this and that and police brutality. And by the way, in terms of police brutality, man, everybody's on the business end of that right now. Whether you black, white, Hispanic, I've seen white boys shot down by cops. I've seen Hispanics. I've seen everybody. Now, I will say this. There is still a large uh, disproportion, disproportionate number of African-Americans that are affected by this more. I will say that. But again, man, the media doesn't show white boys being shot down, cut down by law enforcement. The media doesn't show Hispanics being cut down. But I've seen it a lot in this country. I've seen it a lot. And so that lets me know that, yeah, in some instances, it's about race, but the overarching issue is social class and socioeconomics. You tell me the last time you've seen a rich person, I don't care what he or she looked like, being shot dead in the street of America. You tell me the last time you've seen a rich, wealthy person being brutalized in the streets of America. You tell me the last time you've seen a rich person in America not get the benefit of the doubt in the US court system. That's the overarching issue right there. And you know, it's um, one thing I was, I was curious about, at least going back with the Black Lives Matter, um, I would say actually I'm supportive of that. Um, but I guess the one thing I would kind of challenge or ask you about is because I guess when you're talking about, you're right, uh, talking about the lady and the Philadelphia issue, I definitely disagree with that. But I also see it as in the same way where people say, hey, I support cops, but not all of them are good or bad. I think, you know, just like any other group, there's going to be a group of people who are going to always pervert what maybe the main agenda is. So right. I always always dug the idea of the Black Lives Matter based on its, you know, its grassroots of the social media started by two women yep. who said, hey, look, like, our lives are being affected. It's our house that's burning down right now, right. you know, like, we're the ones that need the help. So, um I was always big on that, and I always, but I always used to tell these guys. I think we talked about it before. I said yeah. one thing I I saw the Black Lives Matter really is saying all lives matter, mm -hmm. because the whole point is saying Black Lives Matter, too. Black yeah. Lives Matter, like our lives are just as equal as anyone else's. So why aren't we getting that same feeling? And I I remember looking at uh, when people do the All Lives Matter right. hashtag. Right. I always it turned me off. Right. Because the point, it was coming from a condescending point of view exactly. of basically saying, hey, you know what? Well, all lives matter. Right. It's not just your life. It's right. all lives matter. It's like, well, that's what black lives matter is right. saying. Now, I'm not big into, you know, I can't lie to you and say, like, I'm, I'm deep rooted in it. But, I, you know, and I don't consider myself a, as a part right. of it. But I, I do support that, at least the idea, ideology of it. Now, take what you just said. When people see all lives matter, hashtag all lives matter. They see it in a condescending manner, those that it offend, right? Flip it. When white folk, Hispanics, Asians, see Black Lives Matter, not Black Lives Matter too, yeah. but Black Lives Matter, they, they feel marginalized. Like, okay, this is just for black people. See, this is my thing. When, it, when a cause, or so-called cause, marginalizes itself by saying, Black Lives Matter. You're putting a, 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 a label 
on the movement, number one, that is not all inclusive. Because as I aforementioned, everybody's getting uh, affected by police brutality, man. Right, right. Even if it's not on TV, everybody's getting it because I'm seeing it. And I will say again, African Americans are the largest uh, uh, ethnic group that is affected by it. But everybody's getting it. And because everybody is getting it, there needs to be a more inclusive notion. So that because the more people you get involved in it from everywhere, the better and bigger the movement, the more traction you can gain because Absolutely. now everybody's supporting it. Absolutely. See, see, that's what I find the major problem with Black Lives Matter is it, it seems to be marginalizing itself. I, I, I can see I, I can see where you're coming from. I see where, and I've always told you that, I respect that. The whole movement, what it actually meant before all these people came and tortured it, right. you support, right? And, right? Yeah, the, the whole the whole basis of it were, were like and it's maybe maybe the yeah. la- maybe the yeah. labeling Black Lives Matter wasn't isn't um it's it, not very right. inclusive. It's, it is, it's not. It's not. But it should have been. Maybe it should have started off as all lives matter. But saying, hey, I mean, just because I'm black don't mean my life doesn't matter. It should have started off like that. So I, I, I do see that when I do see the all lives matter, I do see it as, I guess, based on the way people use, have used it. Not everyone. Right. But a lot of people have used it more of a kind of sinning. And just, it's viewed as just more of like just to go back at anyone who would right. use that black lives matter. But I do agree on one thing, um, especially with, with the police. There's one thing me and uh, my wife have always talked about was that it's, it's more than just a, a racial or ethnicity issue. It's, it's a, a power you know, it's an abuse of power is what I've always seen it as because it's not just black folks that are getting beat down. You're absolutely right. I mean, everyone's getting beat down. They're being pressed down by the thumb of the law. And so I always felt like we have a power problem, you know, and you get people who get this power, you know, and they say, well, absolute power cor- uh, corrupts absolutely. And, and these people are abusing said power. So um, do you see like that's really the main issue going on with the police force in this country? Right. Well, here's the main issue that I see. They're working at the behest of the state. That's why I refer to them as agents of the state. You see, it's the state that gives the police uh, the, I guess, the authority to do what it does. Uh, And I say that because police are only, police are human men. They're going to do whatever they're allowed to do. And it's funny because I have a fraternity brother who's a cop. And he just told me straight up. He said, hey, man, I'm going to tell you something. Man, boys are going to keep doing what they do until they start going to jail. You know, unless they see each other going to jail, they're going to keep policing the same way. And he was talking about bad cops, not yeah. good cops. Of course, of course. He was talking about bad cops. He said, hey, man, they don't have any incentive to change the way they police. They're not going to. If, if they see that there's nothing punitive that's going to be done regarding their actions, they're not going to change their ways. And that, and that makes perfect sense. So the problem is not necessarily with the police agencies and the police officers even. I'm going to put the onus on the system itself, the courts. If the courts would indict bad cops, rogue cops, cops that they know that have brutalized and murdered people, they would indict them. If they would uh, indict, try, and convict them, then you know maybe some trust would be restored from the community back into the police. You know, then you would see, because all people really want to see is that, hey, they're being held accountable just like we would. Exactly. That's all yeah, they want. Yeah. They want to see equity regarding the law and how it's Absolutely. distributed, how it's administered. Yes. And we don't have that. Police get the benefit of the doubt, man, all of the time. And people are sick and tired of that. It's like they have a license to do whatever. And I'm not saying all cops do use that, because they don't. But there are some men that do. 
and they and they and they, they get off scot free. And, People and, are tired of that. And the scary part is that, and this is what I've always said is, they have the power to take a life. Right. That's the scariest part to me is that um, there's only I mean to have that type of power. Yeah. That's an amazing power right there already. Right. Right. But to be able to get away with it, that's the thing. That's the other part that scares me is the part of knowing that you could kill me right. and get away with it. Ain't nobody going to do nothing about it because right. there's who is going to do it. I mean, at this point, nobody's really doing nothing about it. And see, what people need to start doing is when you look at the police, you have to look at it as an apparatus of the state. All right. The state controls it all in terms of law and, and, and all of that. They control the police. OK, when I say state, I'm talking about at this point in terms of the, the criminal system I'm talking about courts okay so police officers do whatever they do because the courts allow it they don't indict they don't convict you see rarely do they indict and convict rarely but let's take a look at it one instance that they indicted and convicted oscar it was it oscar graham or oscar, for the oscar grant oscar grant okay in uh the bay area Okay, uh, Fruitvale Station. Fruitvale Station. That's right. So he's on the ground, subdued, right? A cop has a, a knee in his neck, back his head, because he's face down on his chest. Has a knee in the back of his head. Another cop has a knee in his back. And there's a third cop standing up over him. He's not going anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. He gets shot in the back by the cop standing over him. His explanation was, I mistook my taser for my... For my uh, or I mistook my sidearm for my taser. That was his defense, right? Um, the court indicted. They even convicted. They convicted him of manslaughter. Gave him two years after taking a man's life. Two years. No, 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 no. He didn't even do the two years. All he did was 11 months. 11 months. 21-year-old man is dead. Little girl doesn't have a daddy anymore. Because he mistook his taser, his uh, sidearm for his taser. What were you pulling out your taser for anyway? He was he was subdued on the ground. Yeah. And I had the <laughs> argument. I actually got um, the argument they gave me was uh, you got to understand cops make mistakes. It's just like when you work another job uh, <laughs> and, and and you misship something or something. That's a mistake. And I and my argument is, no, dude, it's not a mistake. You don't understand. You're given the power of. You're trained for this. When you accept this job of being a cop, you're taking another. You know, level of saying, I know when I'm gonna do. I just don't think you're giving that gap of making them type of mistakes when it comes to a life. Yeah, it's almost like a, a car accident and someone calling it like a car purpose. It's not like, hey, we're we're deciding we want to crash into each other just for the hell of it. I mean, if you kill someone in a car accident, you know, you're expected to still there's still still be some sort of consequence towards it. So you feel like, hey, if you became a cop, even if you accidentally kill someone, you should still be responsible because you were put in that position we're we expect you to protect and serve right. you fail that period it doesn't it doesn't matter what your intention was mm -hmm. you should still um there should still be some sort of consequence for it bentley you said something trained they're trained uh that's the problem cops men are trained when, when they pull their service weapon and they fire man they shoot to kill bro they don't shoot to disarm they don't shoot to maim they don't shoot to slow you down so that, you can, so that you can live and enjoy due process like the Constitution said you should. 
No, they become judge, jury, and executioner right then as soon as they draw their service weapon and decide to fire. They're not firing once. Last time you saw a cop shoot somebody once. <laughs> They're putting four, five, six, seven holes in you. Yeah. Tell me how many people are going to walk away from that. See, that's what I'm saying. The training, man, the training shouldn't be to murder people. It should be uh, to, to stop people from being able first to do you harm as an officer right. or society at harm so that you can take them in and so they can do what? Stand trial and, and have access to due process and let the system work like it's supposed to. Right. Not you take lives. And see, I think training when uh, subduing suspects needs to move from shooting to kill and maybe shooting to maim, shooting to stop but not to murder. Yeah, Those yeah. are two total different things, man. And I saw something on the internet the other day I was reading about uh, in terms of how many police shootings we've had just this year alone and um, how many shootings uh, was it uh, England has had. Man, we've shot and killed more people uh, since uh, I think what uh, England has killed in 100 years. You know, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. There, there's something wrong with the way that we police in this country because it's not even, we can't even call it policing anymore. It's truly law enforcement. You know, it has a total different connotation from policing. Policing, law enforcement. You know, it's punitive. It's heavy-handed. It's, it's brutal today. You know, it used to be, you know, when we were little, we wanted to grow up and be cops. We play cops and robbers. Want to be the good guy. Yeah. I want to be the good guy. I want to be a police officer. I want to be a good guy. Man, today, it's flipping. It's 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 turning now because of the nature of the profession. It's not where people feel secure and safe. It's where people feel threatened and in danger now because of the brutal nature that plays out all too often when a cop is on ten and another person may be on ten at the same time. Something bad happens. Okay, and then they're they're put on paid vacation while the quote-unquote investigation takes place and then all to be told well we've investigated ourselves and we saw nothing wrong <laughs> you know? yeah and so that what, what that you see what what it does to the community man you know yeah. and so it, there's this rift and division and lack of trust on both parts i think the policies need to change within law enforcement the shoot to kill notion definitely needs to change the courts need to be held accountable by the people the people have to force the courts to do their jobs man and indict when necessary but that can't happen until the people first demand to be a part of this uh, uh like a citizen review board there needs to be like a citizen review board where it's not just the police officers reviewing other officers who do shootings mm -hmm. no man there needs to be members of the yeah. community that sit on those boards as well you see because we're the stakeholders not the cops right we're the stakeholders we're the citizens so we should play a part in that. Yeah. That also has to change and needs to happen immediately. So yeah, there's a lot that could happen, man, that could make this go away. But I just don't think that it's going to because I think, like I said, those who control it all want to continue to see this division and this distraction on race and brutality and all of that because it keeps everyone distracted from what's really happening. You know. I also feel like um, not even just the fact that now they're not even trained to, to shoot to maim anymore or shoot to disarm. Um, I also see it as 
there's not really much negotiation going on anymore. There's no talking anybody down. As, as soon as they feel a remote threat, they pull their firearm out, they fire multiple times, and then, and then they say, fearful well, moment. I felt threatened, and I felt fearful. And people would argue and say, well, hey, you know what? You don't understand. He puts his life out on the line. And my retort to that is like, well, don't be a cop. <laughs> because that's pretty much what you're doing. I mean, if you're going to be um, serving in, in that kind of role, that's kind of the expectation you're going into. The same way I would feel about people going into the military. You're you're willingly giving your life to protect and serve, at least ideally. Yeah. And the same with being a firefighter. It's, right. You know, you're going in there with the idea that you're, you're risking your life every day. So why is that now a convenient excuse, exactly. even though that should be part of your uh, job responsibility? Yeah, and I see it all the time. You know, firefighters put their lives on the line every single day. You know, but they're not killing anyone. You know, you have post office workers delivering mail every day, and they, uh, whenever they face uh, uh, an animal that they think could do them harm, they pull out their mace, and the animal goes away. Police officers shooting dogs, you know, shooting family pets, you know, things of that nature, without any real regard for for anything, man. And you know, it's just it, the the whole system of law enforcement has become so punitive, man, and so uh, built around authority and the force of authority yeah that's 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 an issue because now you're starting to feel like you know as a as a free citizen you question how free am i now yeah that you have the upper hand and all the power and i'm at your i'm at, I'm at your 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 will i'm at your you know I'm, I'm always at a disadvantage you know to you just because you're a police officer that's not right you know and so uh, i think a lot has to change man to to fix the situation and but because i say there's a lot I just don't see a lot happening. I don't see a lot. I don't see the will for anybody to really want to do what's necessary to start making the change, man. So I don't know. I don't know what's, what it's going to take. So Honestly, I feel like I was in a lecture today, like I was in your class again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, like I said, thank you. I really appreciate you coming and enlightening everybody else that's going to listen to this. Um, did you have any other questions? No, actually, um, I'm with Bentley. Thank you very much, man. I, I mean, it was great to, to hear such different perspective on things. I do have one comment I want to add regarding the election. And I'm just going to put this out there. I've been saying it for quite some time on Facebook. I don't believe we're going to see a new president. I don't believe we're going to see a new president. I believe there's some things that are going to happen regarding our nation that's going to befall us that may cause... Uh, the president to stay in office beyond his term. I'm just going to put it out there and just say that. Really? Yeah. I could kind of see where that, that, that I think some be. people would be happy about that, the way it's going. You mentioned today yeah. what's going on in Russia. Right. With Russia and China and whatnot. Yeah, so yeah, that, over Syria. Yeah. So yeah. it's something I, I I could see that you know happening. And a lot of people don't really know about it because like I said, it's not like it's, it's not they're putting it's it not, out there. It's not in mainstream media. They're ignoring it. Yeah. They're covering the story up, blacking it out. You know, but yeah, and not just because of that, but I've seen some other things I've been looking at, and I, I think that uh, what you're going to probably see a possibility of the president invoking uh, the Insurrection Act, uh, Posse Comitatus, uh, in order to invoke martial law and stay in office for some sort of national emergency that befalls us. I could be wrong, but uh, if it does happen, Y'all heard it first on Boys on the Bottom of Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what I'm saying, right? You're not that excited to be a part of that. It's like, oh, damn, I can't, you know, but. Yeah, if it does happen, I believe it'll happen before the year's end. I do. Yeah. 
Damn, man, that's crazy. Not, <laughs> now I'm going to go prepare everything. <laughs> no, stay woke, people. Like stay I woke. Said, I, could, I, could, I could be wrong, and I hope that I am. But uh, I think if anything like that were to happen, I think that's how soon it would happen. I'm just going to put that out there. So what are some, um, I mean, we already said it, but could you go ahead and repeat some of the best uh Sources of yeah, news absolutely. and information people can get get a hold yeah. of for this type of information. Democracy Now is a very good one. Uh, de- democracynow.org online, and, and there's also a, a news a cable news uh, station, Democracy Now. Same thing, same organization. Okay. RTnews.com. That's uh, Russian Television News.com, uh, and then RT News comes on as well, television as well. They've okay. got some phenomenal phenomenal expose shows man you guys have got to start looking at rt news it will open your eyes you will be blown away by some of the stories that they air on rt news yeah man um a lot of things i didn't know that were going on i found out uh was going on all over the world and uh not always does it have the united states in these crosshairs there are other issues globally that they yeah, yeah, yeah of course yeah, yeah. so you're just getting so much information that you wouldn't get from corporate media in this country, you know, because we're in terms of America, we're so this whole notion of American exceptionalism. If it ain't happening in our country, we're not concerned about it because we're so self-focused mm-hmm. in this country. Nah, man, if you really want to know what's going on, those are some excellent sources to look at. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I actually have a couple of questions before we let you leave. It's more on the. You never get to really know your professors in college, so I'm gonna ask some questions. Uh, we know your your um, your favorite football team is Cowboys. <coughs> oh damn! Uh, oh well, the first one I had uh, Romo, man. How you feel about Romo? I, I like Tony Romo, man. I, I really do. Um, but uh, this young guy we've got now, Dak Prescott, man, is rolling on all cylinders. He's phenomenal. I, I want to say that he's a prodigy, bro, because no one saw this coming. Fourth round draft pick. Yeah. Uh, he was a steal. He plays with so much poise. I've seen him do things that a quarterback should do in certain situations that Romo would have surely thrown an interception. Oh, yeah. In. I mean, by now, this is game, what, six for us? Or no, no, four. This is game five for us. Mm. No, game six. Game six. Romo would have thrown at least six picks by now. He's good for <laughs> one in each game. It's just, you know, we can just place bets on what quarter will come in. Okay, the coaches well, go in and the coaches go in and plan like, okay, so after Romo's pick, exactly. we're gonna do this. Exactly. And with Dak, you know, we don't have that issue because he's so cerebral. Romo's more of a gunslinger. He plays on instincts. You know, he if it feels right, he he, he thinks he can get it through that window, he'll do it. Dak doesn't do that. He plays within the system. He doesn't try to play past his abilities for one, and he doesn't try to use his athletic ability. His athletic ability doesn't trump what he's been coached to do. That's the good thing. Would you call him a game manager? Um, I mean, he's a rookie, so I, you know, I, I get it. I, I guess you could be, refer to him as a game manager. At least right now. Yeah, but he gets the job done, though. Yeah. I mean, really, technically, we should be 5-0. and Because if you look at the, the game we lost to the Giants, we were marching. And uh, it was only a couple of seconds left. Terrence Williams catches the ball. If he goes out of bounds and stops the clock, we've got the best kicker in the league. He kicks the field goal, and we're done. We're 5-0. and oh. That's how close we lost by one. That's how close it's been. And Dak Prescott has been at the helm, man. He's been the leader making this thing go for us. And so, yeah, I'm very impressed with him. Romo needs to go ahead and have a good life. 
<laughs> does, man. Let's go ahead and retire. I mean, think about it. Because if he were to come back, that's what everybody is. would be holding his or her collective breath, saying, "When is he gonna take a hit that takes him out again?" Yeah. You know, everybody's gonna do that. And so my thing is, why even put yourself through that? Just walk yeah. out good. Yeah, man. Walk out good. You're already paid. You got that hundred million dollar contract. You're paid. You're good. Just right off into the sunset, man. You could coach or something. That's so. what I love about Cowboy fans, though, is asking about, like, I'm glad he did. You love Every, Cowboy fans? No. No, I'm sorry. No offense to my mom and my dad, actually. Right? But uh, also, um, no, it's just that um, I, I love asking them about Romo because yeah. it is such a highly – he's so highly uh, – he divides people big time. He's very, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Extremely yeah. polarizing because then there's stats that say he's one of the most clutch quarterbacks possibly in NFL history. True. But I always argued about with Romo. I was like, something about Romo. Romo will win you plenty of games. The problem with Romo is he messes up like everybody else. But when he messes up, yeah. it is in spectacular. <laughs> yeah. And it's just There's it's, no coming back. the timing of it is just the absolute exactly. worst timing. Like, Romo may only throw – 10 interceptions throughout the whole season. But those 10 are like daggers to people. So people feel like, hey, he is the worst quarterback, you know. (laughs) But I'm like, well, it's weird because then the stats that say that he's actually one one of the the best. He's one of the best stat-wise. That's true. But when it counts and it's that moment that will take us over the hump, he always finds a way (laughs) to disappoint us. He finds a way to disappoint us every single time. And to me, you've got to be clutch if you want to be considered a top-tier quarterback. You've got to be clutch, man. That's what gets your team over the hump to the next level. And so, you know, so are you a firm believer that the Cowboys are America's team? Oh, absolutely. That's oh. terrible. We are America's <laughs> team, man. And you know what? I don't even. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this real quick. Oh, no. And I'm just gonna put this here. And you guys. Uh, I had to live through this through America, the 90s. Who's America's team? Come on, Wikipedia, come on. Oh, come That's on, That's all I got to say. I mean, I'd give it the Steelers with their six championships. I'd do the, i even do the Patriots because they, you know, they're underhanded too, just as well, you know what I mean? I mean How are we underhanded? Oh, my goodness, man. But you know what? The thing about the Cowboys is That's my funny. dad doesn't even know about football. You get what I mean? My dad is soccer, you know, this the Hispanic thing. But even he knew who the Cowboys were. He was like, oh, that was uh, when – they won champions, right? And uh, it's so I think it, everybody knew about that time. So I could possibly try to understand why they were America's team because everybody knew. What's the number one sports franchise in America? According to CNBC.com, the Dallas Cowboys. I know that one. I know that one. Shout out to Jerry Jones. The man no, is a phenomenal business. No, he's, a, he's an awesome businessman. <laughs> Have you ever been to their stadium? Uh, I'm just oh, saying. I have. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Niners fan. Yeah. So, you know, in the 90s, I just couldn't stand the Cowboys. I love Cap. You know, I love so Cap. So do I. He's my fraternity brother, so you oh, know I'm a ride okay. for him. But, yeah, I, I, for, but for other reasons, man, I think he's phenomenal as a, in terms of a person. He's a phenomenal guy, man, and I, I applaud what he's doing. I really, really do. Awesome. I'm sure it wasn't easy to give up, you know, being, you know, the darling of that organization and being turned into the villain by a lot of people. But he did it for all the right reasons. And, Hell, it was lonely for Ali when he did what he did at, at, at the time he did. Yeah, and people but, forget about that, and, and right? Look how they revered him right. after that. You see, so yeah, he'll have his time. He'll have his time. That's Another good. question. We're going to do this quick. Uh, if Mayweather and Pacquiao fight again, who's going to win? It's kind of like the way our system is run, man. It's kind of like uh, the elections here. Uh, you know, no. It's already predetermined, uh, always. No, but, re- but remember <laughs> when, when, when pa- we talked about it, when they were going to fight, we, he was going for Pacquiao, too. I, oh, yeah. I, I, yes. I was. I, I can't stand Floyd Mayweather. I can't man. stand it. As a, as a person? 
as a person. Okay, see, but like, even I, as yeah, an athlete, yeah. though, yeah, all he does is put on his track shoes and run. <laughs> he runs, man, the whole time. I'm like, man, what happened to the good old days when pugilists would stand in the middle of the ring, man, and box? You know, Ray Leonard versus Hitman Tommy Hearns oh, and Marvin man. Hagler, and you know all yeah, those guys. Favorite, and, yeah. uh, you know, Sugar Shane Mosley and, and and Roy Jones, uh, 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 Roy Jones Jr. and oh, all yeah. those guys. I mean, those were boxers, man. All this running and dancing. I hit you. I hit you. I run. I hit you. I hit you. I run. Man, I'll never pay to watch that. <laughs> hey, I almost, He's hey, not a true champ. I almost cried. He, he, we watched it together, man. I almost cried because Pacquiao was like my my dude, man. Yeah. Like I was like, now, I would have bet in my house on that. Pacquiao dude, Pacquiao will stand in the ring like the old fighters and fight. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 a he's a man. He'll hey, stand look, in the ring and fight. Mayweather's a magician, man. I yeah, just he's exactly a de- right. defensive wizard, he's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now you see me. Now you don't. I'm disappointed exactly. because I just ran over there to that corner. <laughs> he remembers a part of boxing where he doesn't want to get hit the oh most as well, you know. Oh no, but uh, it's funny because we were laughing and we talked about that a while too. And I said the same thing. I'm like, look, Mayweather's a, as a human being. As far as I'm concerned, he's a, he's a he's a piece of crap. Yeah, all right. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, but I was like, I gotta give the man props for somehow being able to cultivate, you know, this this machine that he is, you know, and to be able to get people to want to see him lose and basically break their hearts and do it maybe in the fashion where it's not even the most attractive way where he's not getting in there and slugging it out. He's, yeah. he, 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 you know, he dodges, he lands his hits, he dodges, he lands his hits, he dodges, and yeah. people, they want to see the, you know, they want to see that, that, you know, that bloodthirsty warrior in there and Mayweather is a cunning, um, he's a cunning, uh, another time, a strategist, uh, man. another time we'll get into that. Okay. Uh, do you drink professor? Uh, socially, occasionally okay. socially. Beer, what's your favorite beer? Oh, man. Um, Ziegenbach. I love Amber wow. Box. Nice, uh, nice. And if I go outside of that, I'll have Dos Equis. Uh, but, but, but Amber Box, man, like Ziegenbach, Killian Irish Red, uh, those kinds of things. That's, that's, that's my flavor. Like the darker beers then, huh? Uh, not dark, like, uh, like oil, like log, uh, what is it? Uh, Guinness? I can't do Guinness. I don't drink the motor oil, uh, but I do like the, uh, the amber, like the, yeah. the red. The red oh, okay, the beer. reds. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Those are really good. Yeah. Another question, favorite food? Because I know, man, if you take his class, he'll tell you to not eat, like, out. Eat, like, basically, you will, you will never see, like, any place you like. He'll yeah. make you look like, don't eat that. No, no, no. What I do is everything in moderation. You can't have a heavy diet of that stuff. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. GMOs, you can't have a heavy diet. Okay. You will contract some sort of disease that you don't want, diabetes, some sort of cancer, whatever. So you got you to, gotta, you know, you got to have your days where you allow yourself to eat this. But, you know, you have to eat. You know what the body needs most days and that, okay. that's what I, I i meant to say but uh for me my favorite fried chicken wings man and french fries <laughs> fried chicken wings and french fries from where nice from number one chicken and rice on almeda and blodgett man you ever been nah, nah they've got been. the best chicken in houston forget frenchies forget timmy chan's and forget all the corporate stores like the Popeyes and the churches and the KFCs. Number one chicken and rice stand on Blodgett. I'm giving them a free plug. On man. Blodgett and Alameda is off the chain. Okay. Oh, man, yeah. It's really, really good. I'm about to try that out. Man. Another uh, another question. Favorite Hispanic food? I have to say tacos, man. I love tacos. Too. <laughs> I love tacos. This is great. Yeah, yeah. And there's a place down the road that my students put me on to at HCC called Tacos Tech. Right there on Monroe. Oh, that one's pretty good. Oh, they're so good. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> Those are good. Oh, they're so, so good. Best tacos I've ever Favorite had. Favorite soul food place? Houston. Uh, you know, I don't eat much soul food, so I don't really 
I don't really uh, patronize those those places too often because it's a lot of has a lot of pork in it. Yeah, you know all that. And I don't eat swine, so I don't. Yeah. Oh man, I love bacon, man. I, <laughs> I, I respect you for giving that up, man. Cause you know it's not good for you. Yeah. yeah. But uh, man, I, I respect. I gotta respect that though. Yeah. All right, so that's all I have, ladies and gentlemen, students. Again, do not be late to Mr. Ron's class. Don't we'll mark late. you absent. Second, <laughs> uh, y'all lucky if if, if uh, the Chili's has the special enchiladas on his favorite day because oh, sometimes yeah. he'll let you out early if it's an <laughs> oh, enchilada yeah. special. Yeah, that, all you can eat enchiladas. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 I'll go through and mess those up, man. Yeah. So everybody get out of the class right now. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> now, one day he did look, he looked a little awkward, like. Uh, like too much tea, and then he was like, hey, um, got to sit a man. Let's hurry up, and y'all, y'all do this quick, you know. Oh, so, we Hilarious. it was cool, but uh, thank funny. you so much for coming again. Awesome. Awesome. It's a pleasure, guys. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, and um, thank you, really appreciate yeah. it. No I problem. learned, man, I learned a lot. Anytime. I learned Anytime. a lot. Thank you. We're out. Peace. Later.